Objectively Dan. What's up, my dude? Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Doing all right. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, for sure. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to this interview. A lot of interesting things that we're going to talk about here. Uh, welcome to Adherent Apologetics, everyone, wherever you may be, however you may be joining us. Thank you for making us a part of your day. Uh, today on the show, we have Objectively Dan. He runs the YouTube channel uh, Truth Wanted. It's an atheist show where they do all kinds of fun stuff. And I think by Dan's hat and shirt, you can tell I think they're wanting truth. That's um, right. Got got to <laughs> plug the brand. That's just how it is, you know. If only you, I think you just need to get like Truth Wanted tattooed on the side of your cat or something. That would uh, really that would. You know what? It. I have not thought about that until just now. I don't have any tattoos, but if I got one, that would probably be it. So thank you for putting that idea in my brain. <laughs> that's what I'm here for, man. You know, that's, that we're not going to talk about God or anything like that. I'm just trying to help you plug over this. Yeah, just create new tattoo ideas. We should just spend the next hour doing that, honestly. <laughs> for sure. Maybe we will. I don't know, man. Uh, but for you guys who are joining us today, what we're going to be talking about um, is maybe tattoos, but we're also going to be talking about some arguments for the existence of God, uh, Dan's story, things like that. For those of you who are hoping for this debate where either the atheist destroys the theist or the theist destroys the atheist, you, you came to the wrong show. You can leave right now. Uh, this is more of an interview. I'm going to just ask some questions for Dan about his views regarding arguments uh, for God, things like that. Lots of fun stuff. So, Dan, you ready to get this thing started? I'm ready when you are. Let's do it, man. So talk a little bit first for someone who has no idea who this guy named Objectively Dan is. Can you talk a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so most people know me because of a video that went around a couple of years ago. So there is a phenomenon called street epistemology. And um, it's this thing where people actually go out on the street and ask people questions about kind of what they believe and why they believe it. Um, you know, oftentimes it talks about beliefs of religion and stuff like that, but it can be anything. It can be UFOs, Bigfoot, whatever. Uh, there's a guy who's known in the scene pretty prominently called Anthony Magnabosco. And a couple of years ago in yeah 2016, I believe it was, uh, yeah, 2016. Wow, it's been a while. Uh, no, 2015. It's like five years ago. I was on uh, his channel. He, he interviewed me. I was a Christian on campus, uh, part of a college ministry called Crew. Um, and we had like a 30-minute discussion about my God belief. So like all of my Christianity and all of my beliefs are out there on the internet. You can still see that if you go to his channel. Uh, a couple of years later, I, I started thinking more and I realized I don't actually believe any of the stuff that I do anymore. Of course, it wasn't just thinking. It was a lot of time and conversation and research. Uh, but, you know, eventually I got to the position that I am today. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people know me from that video, but really I'm no different from a lot of people who've come to atheism. Um, I just happen to have a video of me out there with a pretty well-known atheist. So, um, eventually, I, I started volunteering at an organization called the Atheist Community of Austin. If you are familiar with shows like The Atheist Experience or people like Matt Dillahunty, uh, that's that's where he does his thing. It's here in Austin. Um, and I was actually a call screener for Atheist Experience for a little bit. Till eventually, I got the idea of, hey, uh, what if we did kind of a straight epistemology show but still did like the call-in stuff because we have all this equipment and all these things, if, you know, there's other things we could do with it. So uh, basically I, I made this proposal and, and the board of directors gave me a green light to launch Truth Wanted. Uh, and I've been doing it for almost two years now. Um, every week I feature a new guest. I get theists on, uh, I do get a lot of atheists, but the difference between my show and a show like HP is we get weird 
we get like really out there. Like we talk about weird philosophy stuff, but we also like last week I was talking about the electric universe theory. And like uh, I, before that I was talking about Bigfoot with some folks like it, and, and I get like true believers in a lot of this stuff calling in too. So I have some really interesting conversations with that. Um, but that's what I've been up to. That's, that's my show. That's where most people know me from. And sometimes I'll make a cameo in other YouTube atheist uh, channels as well. Genetically modified skeptic. If you've heard of him, he's like my best friend. He is also uh, here in Austin and, and uh, we hang out and do fun stuff together. So yeah, pretty fun. Awesome stuff, dude. Mm -hmm. uh, so can you talk a little bit like uh, different people may perceive atheism as a different thing or even atheists will have different definitions of what it means for them to be an atheist. So can you talk a little bit about like you call yourself an atheist. What does it mean for you to be an atheist, Dan? Yeah. So, you know, the whole debate over what atheism actually means um, is a hot topic in the atheist community. I, I try to avoid all of it because I don't even really use strictly atheists for myself. I use a label called Igtheist, and if you've never heard of that before, it's just, uh, it's almost, a, it's a point of view and also a commentary at the same time. It's kind of interesting. Basically, an Igtheist says, well, I'm not even sure what God even means. You know, so many people use the word God to mean so many different concepts mm -hmm. and ideas that I can't say whether I believe in it one way or the other without fully defining what we're talking about. So an Igtheist says, I, I don't even have a, a statement of true or false to what you're saying because I don't know. Now, there are specific God claims that um, I do reject, uh, and, I, and I do take a rejectionist point of view when it comes to atheism. Um, Yahweh is, is one specifically, you know, the God of Christianity, because I was a former Christian, and now I am not. I am a post-Christian, ex-Christian, whatever you want to use for that. So, A heathen. Heathen. Well, heathen is, pro is a problematic term. Mm -hmm. I'm just because, I'm not actually serious. sure sure but it's good for people to know right because people do use this kind of loosely there is a heathen community that is separate from the atheist community um, and they include polytheists and pagans and and witches and all kinds of people um, and so they you know they are just as stigmatized as atheists and stuff so now there's kind of more in the movement of, of separating those two terms but I mean to a Christian yeah I guess I would be a heathen right Okay. Uh, so uh, just to try to map this out a little bit more, would you be kind of along the lines more of a, a lack of belief in God? I know you're talking about there's all these different God claims, like a lack of belief. Or would you take a more positive case saying that there is no God, deity, anything along these lines? Yeah. So like I said before, I, I do take the rejectionist point of view in that for specific God claims, I do. Uh, I don't think they could exist because uh, the ones that we can define through certain terms. Now, uh, for other kinds of terms, for ones that are like God is the universe or God is whatever, you know, I can't even say whether that's true or not. Um, and so the lack of lack theism is sometimes uh, a phrase we use for the lack of belief. I, I, I find familiarity with that, too. Again, it just kind of depends on which God claims we're talking about because, you know, different philosophical constructions of knowledge are going to determine whether or not I can actually even know something or believe something. It all gets very technical and, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, goes far beyond what a simple interview, what you're looking for is probably after. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember I was listening just a few days ago to when Michael Jones debated Matt Dillahunty a little bit ago, and Matt kind of brought this point up, which I thought was actually a really good point I hadn't thought of too much, where 
when someone says like me, God exists, it might be a very different conception of God than if a Hindu says, oh, God exists or a Buddhist says, oh, God exists. So I think that's something really important that you guys are bringing yes. up. But I, I, I'm like, I finally am like, I'm getting like, okay, I see more of your guys' side or I don't want to put you all yes. in like sort of group. But I see the atheist side now on that a lot more clearly. And which is also why, again, I'm trying to use atheist more because that's just a more accurate description. It avoids, because again, there are different conceptions and ideas of what atheism means and they're all valid in their own way. But um, if you're not familiar with the differences, you can have confusion in these discussions. So, For sure, man. Uh, can you talk a little bit, uh, you said you were a Christian at one point, now you're an atheist. Uh, we'll go with that. Can you talk a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today with your views on God? Yeah, so I grew up uh, predominantly the first 12 years of my life in the Methodist church. Um, and then one day my parents, you know, I'm still not entirely sure why I never even asked them. I, I don't know if it was because we had friends at this other church or they thought the Methodist church was getting too liberal for them, but eventually we started going to a Baptist church. So I spent my teenage years at a Baptist church. And then eventually, uh, when I got to college, joined a crew, which is an evangelical ministry. And so did evangelism with them on campus and stuff also was involved with other Christian organizations. I, I used to work at a Christian summer camp. I was eventually a program head. So I, I actually preached, uh, every Thursday to the kids, you know, nothing crazy, just a little 15 minute talk that a seven year old could understand, you know, but like I was doing it, I was living the life. Uh, and yeah, my beliefs, I, it's kind of hard to describe at one, any given point or another, I'd say I was a moderate Christian until, you know, college, I started to become more of a liberal Christian. And then I just kind of threw it all out the window. So. What were some of the things that you think led to you kind of throwing your beliefs out the windows you just pointed out? Yeah. So it's a lot of things, you know, it's a, it really is complex. I don't, I haven't met a single atheist that, that, that became an atheist because of one argument or one point of evidence or whatever. Um, because Christianity is a confluence of beliefs. You know, it's not just one thing. Like, yeah, ultimately, maybe somebody could tell you it's a belief in God or a belief in Jesus, but really Christianity encompasses a lot of different ideas. And so you can break down some of these other ideas without breaking down the God idea. Um, yeah, for me, it was just, I, I, I realized that I could not give a defense of my belief that I found to be satisfying. I realized that, yeah, maybe some of this stuff could be convincing to me on a personal level because of my personal experiences, but I couldn't defend this for anybody else. And so how could I know that my beliefs were true if my beliefs were ultimately indefensible? Um, and so when I started looking for defenses on the beliefs, when I started looking into apologetics, I ultimately did not find the apologetics satisfying enough uh, for me to be convinced. In other words, you know, like I am a Christian because I, I couldn't find the right argument for it. I couldn't mm -hmm. figure out how to make it work. Um, that's not to say that there aren't arguments out there for Christianity that could convince me to be a Christian. I just haven't found it yet. And until then, I just remain skeptical. Uh, I, I remain as an atheist. Um, and I continue to have conversations with Christians every week on my show. Awesome, man. Uh, so a couple more questions here before we dive into some arguments. Uh, one of the things I was wondering is what are some of the resources in terms of the apologetics realm that you looked into when uh, you were starting to question eventually leaving your beliefs? And then what were you kind of looking into from the other side, so to speak? Yeah, I think I started with, um, you know, McDowell, 
McDowell's stuff I was looking at a lot, um, kind of both of them, I guess. Uh, you know, they're both kind of tied to the crew brand a little bit. Mm -hmm. So there was a little bit of that there. Um, man, I, I definitely read Mere Christianity. I, I don't know an atheist that, uh, or that was a Christian that hasn't, you know, um, that, I don't know if that's a, uh, a modern, uh, philosophical, uh, approach to apologetics. I don't know how much they're signing it these days in the apologetics community, but that was there. Um, let's see what else I, I read Turek's book. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Um, and uh, you know, just different books here and there. And of course there's tons of web sites and, and, and different places. Um, and of course, YouTube was also kind of a part of it too. I think if it wasn't for YouTube, um, really YouTube made the difference between me talking about this stuff more than me just kind of being passive about it because I, I kind of discovered the atheist YouTube community and they were talking about stuff in Christianity that I certainly didn't know about. And I mm -hmm. had cross-reference with people and stuff like that. So, you know, there's also YouTube apologists as well too, but you see that more nowadays than probably what I, when I was going through back in the mid 2010s. I, I think there's, I think the Christian community kind of had to struggle to really get a presence on the internet. I think the atheists kind of won in that mm -hmm. sense, but it, I, it's more even keeled now. I would say. Yeah, man. I mean, I think you're totally right on the YouTube point. I mean, I, I have I wasn't on YouTube a lot, but I've noticed that a lot of the atheist channels on YouTube are older, um, mm -hmm. and not necessarily in terms of the content, but just in terms of how long they've been on there and doing things sure. a lot more than Christians have. I know there's recently, like you said, there's a lot more Christians within the past year I've noticed doing apologetic stuff on YouTube. Uh, so yeah, last question before we kind of get into some of these arguments and have some fun convert when I say conversation, cause I'm not trying to debate you here, but you know what I'm talking about. Interview, uh, sure. So right. last question, you talked about um, your beliefs and you don't really have a reason to uh, come to Christianity. You see if, if Christianity was true, if there was some sort of evidence or some sort of thing that made you think that it, that convinced you that Christianity was true, that, and I'm talking about the essentials here, you know, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, would you become a Christian if you were convinced Christianity was true? Well, yeah, I guess it's important that we do talk about what we mean when we say Christianity mm -hmm. is true, yeah. because that is not that is not as clear cut as people make it out to be. Sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. apologists will tell you that first thing. Uh, regular Christians, they may not know, but yeah, apologists will tell you first thing. That's they got to define that. So, if we're talking about the existence of Yahweh, um, and even existence can be kind of uh, a, a loose term mm -hmm. depending on what you're looking at. Uh, then yeah, I, I would have to be convinced of the existence of Yahweh. Uh, and I would have to be convinced that there was a man named Jesus who lived uh, in Israel around 2000 years ago um, and who performed miracles uh, and died and through some sort of ritual uh, made a sacrifice for a metaphysical concept called sin. So I'd have to also believe in sin too, which I don't know. That's, that's, that's see, you know, it, it does get complicated. There's a lot of related mm -hmm. beliefs, but if, if all that were to be demonstrated to me, if all of those concepts therein, uh, then yes, I would have to be in order to be honest, in order to, mm -hmm. you know, uh, reconcile my, with myself because, and, and if you have Christians who are watching this, I hope you guys know that most of the atheists I know, I can't speak for every atheist, but we came to the conclusions we did because we wanted to be honest with ourselves. For a lot of us, it was really hard uh, because a lot of us grew up as Christians. Of course, we didn't want the beliefs that we held dearly since we were children to not be true, uh, but we also felt the need to follow where the evidence led us. So I just encourage anybody who watches this, 
if you're in conversation with an atheist, please just keep that in mind that mm -hmm. this idea that, oh, you just wanted to sin. Okay. Yeah. Maybe there's somebody out there who just didn't like Christianity being, you know, uh, a thing to them, but like most of the serious ones amongst us, the ones who are producing content on YouTube, the ones who are having conversations with people, uh, you know, we know our stuff. We're up to snuff. I'd say the average atheist I know knows uh, a heck of a lot more about Christianity uh, than the average Christian on the street, and just in terms of historical uh, stuff, in terms of philosophical stuff, you know, like we can at least have a conversation. We might be wrong, but we can have a conversation about it. So, well, let's talk about some arguments for the existence of God, kind of get your takes on them. So, what I'm thinking we'll do is we'll kind of just throw the general idea at you, get your thoughts, and we'll just kind of see if I have any follow up questions, just to try to hopefully just see how you view these things as much as possible and try to find the heart of where the disagreement would be. No, sure. I'm not going to just like try to throw and debate you and be like, ha, I debunked Dan. That's yeah. not, that's not the, that's not at all. And I'm use my do. clips later for a debunk video. It's just, anything. I'm going to like edit out like this, like two seconds here and two seconds here and, and basically edit so that it admits that you admit that God exists in that. Right. Yeah, yeah. sure. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. All right. So, Let's talk about the cosmological argument a little bit, kind of your takes on it. Um, obviously, there's different forms of the cosmological argument, but yes. I, I think in, in the essentials, the ideas kind of boil down to there must be a first cause for the beginning of the universe, um, and then that first cause must be uh, God, which, I mean, a lot of theists would say, like, a, this cause must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, you know, you know all those things. You've, Necessary you've, being. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard these things a few times. So. What, what's your general take on the cosmological arguments? Yeah, so um, the first, I, I, there's a lot to say about the cosmological argument. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard because like you said, there's different forms of it. So any kind of critique that I can give to one form, there's always gonna be somebody out there that says, oh no, but that's not what this version of it says. You know, so like I can try to bring criticisms in as general as possible, but I'm probably going to miss, uh, you know, a, a, a fine point here and there because again, there's different constructions. But if we're talking about a necessary being, um, I have to agree even with just defining that because I am not convinced that a necessary being is required for the existence of the universe. Um, I think if we're talking about like the Big Bang, for example, there is um, a common misconception that the Big Bang was a specific event in time, but really uh, it's not. We're, we're talking about what we can observe up to that point up to the t equals zero, but we don't know what happened in t equals zero, right? We don't know um, what goes beyond that threshold. If you're familiar with mathematics, it's like an asymptom asymptomatic, uh, asymptotic, excuse me, uh, not asymptomatic. I got coronavirus on the brain, I guess. Uh, asymptotic line, you know, we're, it, it's just getting point uh, close to the edge, but it never quite reaches it. That's kind of how we understand the beginnings of our universe. So. Uh, yeah, it, it hasn't been demonstrated up to me that a God or a necessary being has to be involved in that process. Uh, that's not to say that, you know, uh, it, it would make sense. Surely I could see that, um, you know, if, if it turns out to be the case, there's nothing saying that it couldn't be, but I, I just don't see it as a necessary. Like I said, you could maybe make an argument that this is a conjecture. This is an idea, but ask the most popular, the most studied, and the smartest physicists out there right now that are studying at the universities, they can't even all agree exactly 
on some of those fine details and the origins of the universe. There's still a lot that we're still trying to learn. And I'm going to sooner learn from those guys who are spending their lives trying to figure this stuff out than for me to just sit here and say, yeah, I think it was God. And just like leave it at that. Because again, I, I, I'm not, one, I'm not, I don't have the degree to even say that. But even if I did, I, I got to make it peer reviewed. I got to make sure, hey, what I'm saying can be falsified, right? Which I don't know if that's something that can be done. Mm. A lot of interesting stuff you bring up here. Uh, I'll try to boil it down to the two points, I think. So I think, is as I talked about before, before a lot of these arguments from the cosmological perspective kind of come back to this idea of a first cause. There must be a cause for the universe, something along those lines. So do you think that, there's a co that there must be a cause of this universe, a cause of maybe you want to say the Big Bang or something like that? Well, you know, you do run into this problem of infinite regress. Mm -hmm. uh, there are different cosmological ideas as far as the origins of our universe. It could be we're in an infinite series of loops. It could be that uh, we are part of a multiverse. Um, you know, like the, the jury is still out on exactly mm -hmm. what the origins are. And, and my opinion at the end of the day, like I said, it actually really doesn't matter. Because <laughs> I'm not the guy who, again, is spending their life trying to figure this stuff out. I'm just reading the works of other people who have tried to you know study and learn from this? So yeah, I know just as much as anybody uh, anybody else on Earth on how this stuff figured it out. We're, I, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to say, but I, I'm not going to sit here and conclusively say one way or the other. Yeah, there had to be a first cause because I don't know. I I don't know if that's true. So do you see like an infinite regress model that explains kind of like how we got to where we are today? Almost, do you see that as like a possible scenario? Ah, uh, like like the inf the universe is is in a in a cycle of expansion and, and contraction and, and yeah, regress. something along those lines. Yeah, I, I, it's possible. Sure, you know, I'm I'm I, I'm more than happy to say something is possible. I, I'm not I'm not going to go as far as to say that's exactly true because I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um. So let's go to the second part. Uh. Let's just grant for i know obviously you're, you're unconvinced that the universe is finite um it's it's definitely i i completely see where you're coming from uh so let's just but let's just say imagine just in this theoretical scenario for a second that the universe is finite like the the whole idea of an infinite regress or anything like that that's just not possible due to some discovery um theoretically what do you see do you think that this first cause would have to be some sort of like uh, immensely, pa immensely powerful, timeless, spaceless being, or like, how do you view this idea if the universe is finite? Like, how would you see the cause of it being? Well, I guess I need to ask, what do you mean when you say the universe is finite? Well, the universe would have to have a definite beginning at some point. Um, mm, okay, so you yeah. mean in in origins, it is finite? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay, yeah. Gotcha. Um, if there was a definite, well, you know, like I don't know because it seems that. My understanding of the Big Bang um, and, and our conclusions that we draw from it is that time and space wasn't even like a concept that we could work with uh, before this kind of temporal edge. Um, so I don't know if it even makes sense to say that there is a beginning uh, before that. It, it, it's really hard for me to, to know exactly what that would even mean. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody smarter than me would have to answer that because I'm not completely sure. Okay, um, so I just want to make sure I'm understanding your position in the right way. So if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. please correct me. So you're sure. saying uh, in this question, you're not even sure if we could determine uh, that the universe is finite, so you'd kind of defer to people smarter than you? 
Well, not necessarily say that we couldn't determine that, but I'm not sure what the implications of that would mean. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's let's keep going. Let's talk about fine tuning a little bit if that works for you. Any, sure. any last thoughts on this whole cosmological argument before we move on? Uh, you know, only to say that I'm not sure that a cosmological argument. I, I, I'd be interested to see because, you know. Uh, the history of Christianity and its beliefs has changed over time. And so I'd, I'd be interested to see if an apologist could square the cosmological argument and the current ideas that modern cosmology has about the universe with understandings of cosmology that we find in the writers of the Bible, because I am convinced that the people who wrote the Bible, and that's including the hundreds of years that span time. I, I'm not, I don't think any of them were working with the cosmology that we were today. So um, I'm, I'm not sure that we could cite any of the historical parts in there um, to say that uh, that they mean anything. And when I say historical parts, right, I'm talking about the book of Genesis specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also recognize that a lot of apologists aren't young earth creationists, and they do interpret that in a sort of a metaphor. But I, I don't know what it means for, as a metaphor, if that's the case. That's, that's a whole other topic. But, yeah, I, hopefully I made my point. I think I lost it a little bit. No, I think you're pretty good, man. But now that you said the key word, young earth creationist, now I have to debunk you on evolution and talk about how you're an evolutionist and all that stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm just messing with you. I'm not a young earth creationist. I just wanted to throw that on you for fun. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, growing up in Waco, I did know a lot of them. I was never mm-hmm. actually a young earth creationist myself. I actually was fully fine with evolution, but I did think that humans were specially created and that really changed when I took my first anthropology class. Uh, so, yeah, really interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll just comment very briefly on this because I think it's an interesting idea. I grew up uh, around, I was surrounded mostly by young, I mean, I never really seriously thought about these questions for a while. It didn't really matter to me. Um, but I mean, I grew up in an environment where a lot of people were YECs and that was kind of mm-hmm. what I was exposed to. I was kind of amazed by the OEC um ideas but when i first started looking into quite these big questions because i didn't even know they were there um that's a little bit of my background i don't like to cool yeah just wanted to bring that up in case anyone wanted to know so let's talk about fine-tuning uh a lot of a lot of the fine-tuning argument will kind of go along the lines of there's some sort of the universe is fine-tuned through different constants things like that and since we have this fine-tuning there must be a fine-tuner and i know you've heard this a lot of times so i'm curious what are your general thoughts on the fine-tuning argument yeah. So once again, you know, this is another argument with different conceptions. So any kind of criticisms I bring it, you know, I'm not going to include, it's not going to be all encompassing for every version of this argument that exists. Um, but, you know, we can start with some of the basics. If we're talking about a fine tuning argument, that's talking about probabilities. Um, you know, my first criticism would be that I, I don't know how we could examine the probabilities of a physical constants existing if we only have one universe to observe. Uh, and so if you, you know, basic probabilities, you're gonna be looking at different scenarios and different ideas for different conceptual universes. And, and physicists do have different ideas for different conceptual universes, but the odds of one happening over another, that's just not something that we really have. As far as I know, again, I'm not someone who studies this every day, um, but I've read enough about it to know that, hey, like I. I, I don't know how we can say that, oh, this is just super, super almost impossible. Um, and, and even if something is almost impossible, it, improbable things seem to occur all the time. Something being improbable doesn't 
negate it from being something that happens. Um, you know, eventually somebody's got to win the lottery, right? Mm -hmm. You know, unless it's a, a bad lottery, but you know, somebody's got to win the lottery. So it, it, we shouldn't be surprised when somebody does win the lottery um, because that's what it's designed for. So if 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 it's possible for the the physical constants that we know of to exist, if it's if that's even a reality that could be possible, um, then I see no reason to be incredulous about that on its face. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's I think that's as all encompassing enough as I can without getting into the minutia. Uh, I don't even know what minutia even means. He, mm. what, what are you referring to with minutia? Oh, just the, the minutia is just details, right? Without the details of like, because I, I, I've seen what uh, John Lennox and what some of these people have done, but talking about the specifics of the physical constants and stuff. And I'm just trying to avoid that for the sake mm. of uh, brevity yeah, yeah. here. Yeah. I got you. I got mm -hmm. you, man. Uh, cool dude, Dan. I'm enjoying this. Uh, just comment on that. Uh, so there's a few parts of the fine tuning argument I'd love to break down and kind of get your thoughts on. Uh, sure. Three main ideas. First is that the idea that the universe is fine tuned. Uh, and then we kind of have the idea of the constants and like the implications of that. And then we have like, if it's fine tuned and that's this extremely improbable scenario, what does that mean? Uh, mm -hmm. talk about the idea first that the universe is fine tuned for life for me and you to exist and be having this conversation. Would you, would you, do you believe that the universe, I mean, is fine, fine tuned in a sense for life as we know it? You know, I think uh, 300 million years ago, you could ask a dinosaur if uh, the universe was fine tuned for them and they might say yes. You know, uh, of course, the conditions by which we exist now seem to be readily made for us. And that's a product of living you know, on an evolutionary earth, an earth that's constantly changing through different dynamic conditions. Um, and we as organisms changing with those conditions. Um, and so I can see how the illusion of something being designed for us would make sense. However, knowing what I know about evolution and knowing what I know about the history of the earth and of, you know, uh, universe as we know it, um, it doesn't make sense for me to say that it's fine tuned. I would have to say fine tuned for what? Certainly not humans. Humans have only existed for a very, very short period of time compared to the rest of the universe. Um, and we may not be existing in the next decade, you know, seeing how things go. So, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't make sense for me to say that the universe is fine-tuned for one way or the other. In, in fact, I would say the universe is probably more fine-tuned for uh, lifeless rocks than it is for people because uh, we seem to have a lot more of that <laughs> than we do of people. So, I don't know, man. The Pentagon report's coming out, though. So Yeah, we talk about that <laughs> on my show. Actually, I'm getting a UFOologist on uh, in the first week of September to That's talk thing? about that with me. Yes, it Dang, is a thing. And uh, I'm excited to dive into that. So that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you, you bring up this thing. Uh, it's interesting when you're talking about the fine-tuned argument, and that we're surround and surrounded in space by a bunch of lifeless rocks. Uh, mm -hmm. I think. I mean, you're obviously you're very right about that. So why do you think that? Why why are we here? There's so many lifeless rocks. Why isn't Earth just one more of those? Do you think that? I'm just curious your thoughts on all that. Well, when we have a universe as big as we do, you get to see a lot of things that are improbable. Right now, there's a planet made entirely of diamonds. And not only that, there's more than one. There's dozens of them. The specific conditions for which a diamond to exist um, are specific, right? But mm -hmm. because we have such a giant playing field of how things could play out, 
you're eventually going to see a lot of things that are seem close to impossible, but are still possible. Now, this is coming in with the conception that life is possible under the physical constants of the universe. Now, an apologist might disagree with that. You know, I am forced to say, yeah, no, I don't think so. Only because not only can we trace the origins of our life, at least up to our origins, there's a lot about specifically the origins we don't know, um, but we can see those changes happening and we can all see them happening and, and be explained through natural phenomena. And again, that's, uh, I, that's with the caveat that we don't have specific explanations for every specific feature of our biology. Um, we're still learning about this, but uh, it, a natural phenomenon, a naturalistic explanation as to what we see around us um, makes sense given the physical conditions of the earth, being that we're in the Goldilocks zone, being that we have an atmosphere that has uh, uh, the right amounts of oxygen and nitrogen, which again, wasn't always the case, right? Had to have changed through other processes. Um, you know, I see a universe that um, works through natural processes. I don't see one, a model of the universe that has any kind of divine intervention or divine design. Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll kind of talk about the second idea um, and it's kind of not necessarily relating to a certain planet being habitable to life, but there just being a universe that can form planets or things like that. Uh, you know, people will throw out things like the gravitational con constant, where if it varies by a little bit, the universe goes way too fast. If it's a little bit lower, the universe fails to even come into being. It just kind of implodes almost. So mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit about kind of like these constants which relate to just a universe even existing where like things like planets could even form? Yeah. So again, I think I kind of alluded to this point earlier, but I, I have no way of knowing why or why not a physical constant should or shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, I have no conception as to why that thing is there. I can only see that it's there. Um, you know, uh, whether a God put that in place, um, well, I mean, that says a lot about our thinking of time and space. Uh, and uh, we'd have to think outside of that. Um, and, and it's hard for me to even imagine what all of that even means at the end of the day, a God being outside of time and space, that is. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know why the physical constants are the way that they are. I just know that they are. Um, and that might even change tomorrow. We might find uh, that the equations that we use for these things are actually a bit bigger and more nuanced. Um, and from there, we have to discover more. But yeah, as far as why I think they're there, I they're there. I see them. Don't know if there's a why. Don't even know if it makes sense to ask mm -hmm. if there's a why. All right. Good stuff, man. Uh, we'll go to the final point here uh, in the fine-tuning argument. Let's just say for a second, kind of like we did in the last one, let's just grant that th this fine-tuning is real. And a lot of people will put these astronomical astronomical estimates where if all these fine-tuned constants would just occur by chance it's one times ten to the really big number let's just say that's true for a second and i understand that you're skeptical of that and in, in the sure. place, let's just let's just grant that for a second what do you think the implications of that would be yeah i mean again it is hard for me to conceive because we are using the physical constants that already exist to define the probability of these physical constants you know i that, that's 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 why it's hard for me to even wrap my head around what that would even uh, imply. But if, if somehow some breakthrough was to be made where uh, the, we discovered that, oh, there's only one reason why the physical constants exist the way they do, and that's because of a creator, I would say, great. 
um, it's still probably not Yahweh <laughs> because I don't think that the conception uh, historically that Christianity and Judaism has had of Yahweh really would match the kind of creator that you and I would be looking for in that scenario. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ideas of, of what a God would be or gods would be. Um, and I don't think Yahweh makes the cut in that sense. Uh, you'd have to do some extra argumentation to get me there. All right, let's go. Uh, one more argument here that we'll kind of brush on a little bit. And that's the idea of, I mean, there's a couple of things I sent you NDEs or miracles, obviously they're, they're two different things. So maybe we'll just focus on NDEs for a little bit, because I think that through the literature we have, it's clear that NDEs happen. Uh, would you say that, and I just wanna make sure we're on the same page here. Would you say that near-death experiences happen? Definitely, yeah. All right, just making sure we're on the same page. So could you talk a little bit about like, um, I taught, I had it, Dr. Gary Habermas on the show a little bit ago, and he was talking about this argument that uh, through these NDEs, we can see that naturalism is false and then there must be some something more. He didn't say that a specific, it didn't point to a specific God or things like that, but he just said there has to be something more than a naturalistic framework um, when we look at things like NDEs. So from your perspective, Dan, how do you look at near-death experiences? Well, you know, I'm not familiar with Habermas's specific take on near-death experiences, but I have no idea why um, only God could be or, or the supernatural or whatever has to be the explanation for that. Um, humans are notoriously fallible creatures um, and we are, uh, we're, we're meat hooked up with, with brains in our heads and uh, our brains are fallible to all kinds of scenarios and uh, all kinds of things can happen to us, especially if uh, we are depleted of oxygen uh, at a car crash, um, why wouldn't we see things we normally don't see? Um, to me, that makes perfect sense. Now, again, uh, there's going to be different kinds of, you know, uh, near-death experiences and stuff, uh, but, and the uh, thaumatology, you know, the study of miracles, and I'm aware of- uh, Big words in, I like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, if we're looking at the history of yeah, I guess you're asking me about near-death experiences first, not mm -hmm. miracles yet. I'm guessing yeah. miracles is next. Okay, so maybe so if we have time, we'll throw miracles in there. Yeah, near-death experiences. If we're just talking about that, I mean, that's the most. That's as natural as it gets uh, to me. I mean, uh, not only do we unfortunately find that um, there's a lot of fraud and scam that happens with near-death experiences. If you remember that movie. Uh, that what was it a couple of years ago? Uh, the the, the seven-year-old that went to heaven. I can't oh, remember. Heaven is for real or something. Heaven is for real. Yeah. So you know, if you read the story behind that, hey, a lot of that stuff wasn't actually what happened as portrayed uh, in that movie. And you know, unfortunately, that happens a lot. And so already we have a subsection of that that we can determine is false. But even if we look at the rest of these cases, um, I have yet to see one that couldn't be explained through some sort of naturalist cause. And even if there was one where I couldn't immediately find the explanation for, um, I don't know if Christianity or anything would be um, the best fit for it. Because if you look at the differences in these uh, experiences, people are experiencing very different things sometimes. They may use Christian imagery, but they're seeing different stuff and they do not match up uh, in my experience what I've seen. But again, I haven't seen every single near-death experience, so I can't speak for all of them. Yeah, uh, maybe I'll kind of frame this a little bit more and talk what he what specifically what Dr. Habermas is talking about here, or mm -hmm. Gary Habermas. Uh, and so what he's saying is, in, with these near death experiences, we have people who 
are brain dead, uh, so they have no brain activity, and they're they're experiencing things um, during this time period. He'll allude to examples um, where I haven't looked into the literature specifically on these examples where. Uh, he'll have these different scenarios where people will be brain dead and they'll see like what's going on in the other room or something along those lines. And, th and then they can come back to consciousness and they'll kind of talk about what's going on and things like that. So I don't know if that helps you a little bit with what's going sure. on with NDEs. Yeah. You know, again, without knowing or having read anything he has to say, if, if the caveat there is that the person is brain dead, there's still so much that we do not know about the brain, but the brain is got to be like the most mysterious organ we have. Um, and I'm not surprised that maybe we thought somebody was brain dead, but wasn't, or, or maybe there's some idea of consciousness that happens in the brain that we can't um, establish through our current scientific tools. Um, and so to say that that's our best bet, um, I don't know, because you also have to account for, again, not only Christian near-death experiences, but every kind of near-death experience where people have experienced uh, Hindu forms of hell or, uh, you know, Muslim ideas of heaven. Uh, you know, it, if we're saying that these are also valid, well, then we have a lot of thinking to do about our afterlife situation. All right. Uh, we'll go to one last thing here, Dan, and we'll kind of wrap things up. Uh, let's talk about miracles a little bit. Obviously, mm -hmm. I think it's a little bit more of a different argument. Um, I'm sure lots of people in the world have claimed to have been a part of miracles or things like that. So mm -hmm. when you're looking at the argument for miracles where it'll say, hey, these events occur that wouldn't occur within the laws of nature. So there must be some sort of force or there's different argumentations of this, of course, but there, so there must be something more. And again, naturalism would be false. So how would you, how do you look at the argument for miracles? Yeah. So, you know, I remember when I, I used to hang out with the secular student Alliance at Baylor and um, we, as that group, I, I, I didn't actually go to Baylor university, but um, I was living in Waco at the time. And they're the only college kids I knew that were atheists, so we hung out, right? Uh, and uh, there was an apologetics group that also hung out with us on occasion. Actually, we would kind of crash their meetings sometimes. They would have these lectures and stuff, and we were invited to come. I, I should say we, we didn't crash it, but you know, we were we were you know they wanted to talk to us. And and I remember somebody had a book, and I, I had to find that book of just like a, a, a history of the different kinds of miracles in Christianity and stuff. And and uh, I would love to read that someday, but it, the miracles that I have seen or the miracle claims I've seen, again, nothing could, that couldn't be explained either through natural means or some kind of trickery. Um, and and I, I am consistently surprised that this still comes up in 2020 when most of us have phones in our pockets with cameras on them that we could record any events happening at any time. Um, and, and I haven't seen a video or anything that wasn't doctored or wasn't, you know, fraudulent that could produce a miracle for us to verify. Um, and I don't mean just like, oh, you know, uh, this person uh, was having trouble with, I don't know, uh, depression or something. And then they got better, you know, like that. I, we have to talk about things that would otherwise could not be most parsimoniously explained through natural explanation. You know, if, if, if an amputee grew a limb back and, and they weren't injected with some sort of super secret government chemical, uh, then yeah, that would impress me for sure. Um, if uh, uh, somebody with no eyes suddenly had eyes again and could see, I don't know. Yeah, that would impress me. Um, but what I tend to see is psychosomatic phenomenon or, um, you know, just, just sleights of hand, really. Uh, there's a great documentary out there called Marjo, 
which uh, came out in the 1970s, which follows uh, this guy named Marjo, who was an evangelical um, sort of uh, pre preacher that went around the country, you know, doing these laying on hands and stuff. And obviously that wasn't the Christianity I grew up with, probably not the one you grew up with. But um, if you watch that documentary, you'll see some of the tricks that he does to kind of convince people that he's healed them of all these kinds of ailments and stuff. And uh, you would be surprised the level of deceit and just grift that people will go to for money. Um, it, it shocks me every time, but it, there are people that, that are definitely out there that are just willing to just, you know, just, just take it from you. All right. Good stuff, Dan. I've enjoyed this a lot. 45 minutes have gone by pretty quickly. Uh, before we wrap things up here, any kind of like closing thoughts you have on stuff that you maybe you want to add info to or anything you want to touch up on? Yeah. The only thing I'd say is, you know, you did describe my show at the beginning as an atheist show. And I think that's a fair assessment, but you know, that's not how I tend to think of it. I tend to think of it as a show that's open for anybody. Um, mm -hmm. I like you, I feel a similar value in having conversations with people who disagree with me um, about my beliefs or lack thereof. And so, uh, Truth Wanted is a show where I created so that it, it can be an open space for people to um, communicate about whatever they believe and not feel ridiculed or uh, belittled because of it. So if you're a Christian or if you're an atheist or whatever and you want to talk to somebody who will have a conversation with you, come find me on my show and I'd be happy to talk with you. Awesome, Dan. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call you Dan, my man, because it just rhymes. And I That's like good. I love it, dude. Uh, mm -hmm. Encourage everyone to go follow Dan, Truth Wanted been a lot of fun Dan. enjoyed the conversation thanks for coming on for a little bit well thanks for having me zach i enjoyed being here all right have a good one guys thanks for tuning in